This is a post-Christian podcast. We are the sacred collective. All are respected. All are heard. All are welcomed. Join us. I just hit uh, record actually just now, so... Perfect. To set the scene, we're still in covid you know, this is the type of shit they're going to be having paperless history books in the future. They're going to drop in little audio clips of shows like this, where the real people are in the real thick of it, and more than the shit of it, because we're in Minneapolis. My guest, by the way, is, is Michael, making a return. Hello, Michael. Hello. I actually went back and uh, brushed up. I listened to a little bit of our previous podcast, uh, just to make sure if any, you know, I could address any of the topics and how my thoughts on those have evolved. Sure. But the thing that struck me the most uh, was just listening to a recording of myself talking about the world a few months prior to COVID. Right. It really, wow. Yeah. Everything was different right uh, then. Yeah, totally, man. That's, it really uh, crystallized that idea. Mm, yeah, yeah. And uh, the brevity of how that was so recent. Oh, yeah. Before the apocalypse hit. <laughs> Uh, still closer to the start of that than we are to the election that everyone thinks will fix everything. Yeah. Just got to wait. That'll take care of it. Are you still hearing a lot of, um, I guess you're not, you're not really talking to to many peers or anything like that, but I'm I'm not not really hearing a lot of hope about the election anymore. Like, you know, back when Bernie was still a real option, I heard a lot more hopeful rhetoric, but nobody that I know wants Biden. No, but well, but I have I, I know people that are on the opinion that, hey, all this sucks because Trump, it'll all change when we vote all of these clowns out of office in November. And I'm like, that's forever away. We're going to have aliens landing by November. Uh-huh. How are we going to top all this? Yeah, right. Exactly. These are the times when we talk about the good old days when we had W in office. You know, it's like, oh. We could have more of a dumbass in office, it turns out. and <laughs> We all were so naive. Yeah, we were naive. But so I stated my intentions. What have you, how has your course gone over the last, since everything changed? My course has been a unique one because I um, drastically broke my ankle in three places and dislocated it. So I had to have two operations for that. But that happened on February the 10th. Oh, right. So, like, my second night or so in the hospital, I remember seeing Trevor Noah making the first, you know, reference that I heard to COVID the first time that I heard, you know, coronavirus, that term used. So, I was obviously going to be laid up. They had estimated that I could, you know, start looking at going back to work like 8 to 12 weeks after the surgery, which is about the right timeline. So, anyhow, I I knew that I was going to be laid up for a while. And then the rest of the world kind of got quarantined along with me. Oh, man. Right after the surgery, I was staying with some very generous friends of mine who had some spare space so they could, you know, just make sure I didn't, like, fall again or something like that. So, yeah, my friends who I was staying with, they all of a sudden, like, a week and a half after I had started my bed rest, they all of a sudden became quarantined, too, you know, and and couldn't go into their work or anything. And so that was kind of nice to be quarantined with friends and actually have the option to socialize to some extent. There's something so crazy about the timing of that, that just when you have to be involuntarily imprisoned from the outside world, every single other person has to along. So yeah, they just, and uh, for me, I kind of, once, once I put the pieces together, like, oh, okay. If, if the option to ride it out existed, Mm. China would not have isolated twice the population of America. 
Right. They would have been the first country in the entire world to take care of an overpopulation problem. <laughs> so yeah. if they're not, if they're not doing that mm-hmm. and they can't figure out a way to keep people going about their business, then I don't think me wiping down the doorknob at work is going to do anything. Right. Uh, I'm like, we're going to have to lock down too. And I kind of saw it and I put the pieces together and I said, yeah, now obviously we're going to lock down. And there's something about it that felt so much like, after the last several years, yeah. it was almost like karma going, hey, hold on, everyone, you need to take a time out and think about things. It does seem like that. But then the lesson that we learned from that karmic time out was that everyone came out of that going, I hate everyone. And now. And then George Floyd gets murdered. Yeah. And so then it's like, oh, OK, they thought about it. We're all a bunch of savage animals. It really highlighted the the behavior of the species. Oh. Absolutely. Everyone was in a heightened state or, you know, and, and hadn't been outside of their houses in months. And so, yeah, they were extra sensitive to anything. And the climate being what it was already, any sort of race issue was going to set off a massive explosion of events. And everyone was saturated with so- oversaturated with social media to start with and then over oversaturated because of COVID. And then the fact that there's so many eyewitness, you know, there and then immediately afterwards it's everywhere plus the idea had just been put in everyone's mind because right before that we're all the crazy like hey let's let the elderly die so i can get my denny's oh god you had those and so now like like you know protest idea is lingering and then george floyd happened it's just Mm -hmm. the perfect storm to you know snap a bunch of people to action yeah totally to snap to action in a overdue way for sure even symbolically for this is not the first time that I can't breathe has been used as a slogan mm, for mm-hmm. the black lives matter, you know, movement uh, because it was something somebody said as they were being executed and it struck and it struck a nerve because it, it you know, it's metaphoric. Right. It captures, that, but then the overall essence at the same time, yes. but, but that one, that one stuck for a little while. But when it happened this time, and the reason that we're all quarantined is because of something that makes you not be able to breathe. Like you're everyone's mind was already primed to get yeah. that spark. Mm-hmm. There and and there's so many little things about how it all played out that just seems so weird to me. Let's play out best case scenario because I can think of some grim worst case scenarios. Mm-hmm. But let's think of the best case scenario, and that's that, okay, the the virus causes all kinds of damage, but in doing that, it helps us realize that the two-sided nature of things, right, you get the, and then people start coming together, make progress, society is better as a whole, right? Uh-huh. If that were to happen, and I was writing reality as though it were a TV show, and uh, the people said, okay, we've written up to the end of 2019. <laughs> there were some financial disputes, and we had to fire the creative director. So we have the ending in place that everyone puts aside their differences and comes together. We don't know how he planned on getting there, so we need you to take over the reins of the script. Mm-hmm. I would not have been able to do as good a job coming up with a plausible reason uh-huh. as the pandemic. Do you think George R. R. Martin had anything to do with the scripting of it? If he doesn't finish his book this year, he's just got no excuses at this point. <laughs> but anyways, go on. For my part, I spent about the first month just overwhelmed with this sense that my, my whole life has been preparing me for this pandemic, mm. right? All I've ever tried to do is stay away from people <laughs> and sit in my room and play video games. Right. And it was either, no, you need some fresh air or... 
Mm-hmm. Uh, no one like you don't have any friends because ah, oh, this this and just why are you wasting all your time playing? Hey, we're all going out. Do you want to join? No, I just really rather play some video games and sit around, right? And then the, all the the entire medical community of the whole world says, hey, it's really dangerous. Stay in your house and don't leave. Yeah. Now you have a doctor's note from any doctor in the world to back up your stay at home and play yeah. video games lifestyle. I would feel guilty. Like I spent a whole Saturday right. just playing video games. People would ask, like, what'd you do with your weekend? Nothing. Just played some video games. They're like, what? No, but what else did you do? Yeah. Like, no, that's it. No, that makes me feel like, oh, what a waste. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So, so I went to that, right? Where it was just like, wow, is this just like a summer vacation for me? The. <sighs> I'm old enough to appreciate. Right. And my kid's doing school online, so I'm just hanging out with her all the time. And Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sure. Maybe we'll get, you know, who knows what will happen. People will die. But, like, as far as my little local bubble, this is basically all I've ever wanted. Right. Plus, as an expert, we're, like, even, even like, if I was going to go to the grocery store, I have to do, like, oh, I got to be around people. Okay. All right. Pull yourself together. Uh-huh. Construct that false persona that you understand any human relationships and mm-hmm. go pretend to be one of them for a little while. You know, like right. even that I'd have to build myself. There's that level of uncomfortableness. Yeah. But then the tables are turned mm-hmm. and all the extroverts who now mm-hmm. have to feel that uncomfortableness of like, Ooh, no, I can't see my friends yeah. for a couple months. Mm-hmm. It takes them two weeks before they go like, well, guess we have to euthanize old people. <laughs> yep. Like you jerks. I had to do this my whole life. <laughs> There's a sense of that to it too. Yep. Yeah. I, I was good for another six months. Yeah. The one danger that I saw right from the get go mm-hmm. is that if I take too long a vacation, it gets real hard to pull the fake persona back together and oh, start right. pretending. In and play acting. You forget the local accent and dialect, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, just like that. Yeah. And plus, I uh, as an introvert, I spend all of my time just trying to understand everything around me and everything within me and anything that catches my attention. Right. But I, I can sink deeper and deeper into that the more time that I'm given, until I can get into these weird existential states where I just like. Mm. I'm putting pieces together in my head, and the next thing I know, I'm like, oh, oh I'm just staring into my sock drawer. <laughs> and I've got a bunch of pieces of red yarn connecting different socks and uh, strange symbols. Yeah, I'm not even trying to put socks on <laughs> here, so I can get really, I, I can get really lost in my own world. Yeah, is really the the best way to put it. Uh-huh. And and so I immediately was like, oh wow, two months. I'm I'm never gonna be I'm gonna be coming back like Tom Hanks from Castaway. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. So, ooh, ooh, we gotta really make sure not to. And I said, like, really made sure, put a, you know, tried to use my mental discipline, keep myself distracted a little bit. You yeah. know, try, you know, this and that. Don't whoop whoop. We're sinking too deep. And I always think about stuff as is evidenced by the last show that we had. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, first two months really tried to avoid that. Uh-huh. Uh, and then after like the protests have been going, so just a, then a couple weeks ago, yeah, it was to the point where I'm kind of realizing like, oh, Texas, Florida, and Arizona are about to burn off the face of the map, mm. and they're just a preview into the world four weeks in front of us, mm-hmm. just like this thing has been the entire time. Yeah, I never thought I'd watch so many people repeat the mistakes of history in real time as they're happening mm-hmm. because of the, Oh, it can't happen here. Right. And there's just something that really bummed me out about it. And, uh, 
And I was just kind of, at some point, I was just kind of like, hey, you know what? Heck it. Let's dive in. I'm never going to get this chance again. Mm-hmm. And then we just spiraled down the whirlpool, right? Uh-huh. Down the rabbit hole. Yeah, we. I was. I just. I just let it happen, right? Okay. No, I'm not gonna fight it, and it just and it accumulates day after day. You know, this rabbit hole leads to another one. Mm. Maybe a couple are connected. Now that flashes off all the curiosity, and we go. Oh. Mm-hmm. But I think I came up with some things. You wandered through the labyrinth, and you've yeah, yeah, got a little bit of a map now. Kinda, maybe we'll see. Like I said, I refreshed my memory of our last conversation, right? And some of the things I talked. I was pondering, spawned from those, and uh, or were continuations of those thoughts. Mainly, a lot of them come back to the same thought, and that's the 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 mystery of consciousness. Ah, how, yes. How, how, how am I mm. a mic that doesn't enjoy the company of people and and can acknowledge that fact? Mm-hmm. Okay. And a lot of the subjects that I explore. Are kind of you know searching that subject for for clues you know yeah and then maybe a thought of how that might be related to something will lead me down another rabbit hole so sure sure where you're at right now what would you if you had to explain to the best of your ability what your consciousness was how it how it was existed how it anything about it where I'm at with that right now I would say my consciousness is to me a necessary illusion. I think that the self is kind of an illusion. I mean, just like you could break down any organism into all the different moving parts. And like, what if your liver was a sentient thing? Well, and then it's part of your body. I feel like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I feel like in, in a way, you know, we're kind of just cogs. And uh, I think nature and nurture both simultaneously exist and don't exist. You know, it kind of just depends on how you're defining and approaching those terms and things like that. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's like a big machine, I guess. I don't know. It's an illusion. Yeah, yeah. And that and that you are the sum of your parts, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if we look at it that way, is there any way we can imagine what that would be like? Because a lot of these questions is there's no way we can imagine it, right? You can't really explore it because it's so alien. Sure. So I was thinking about uh analogies and how a good analogy really drives a point home. And how well, that makes sense because when you build a word in your mind that you want to say, you're grabbing a lot of anchor points from your memories, from your senses, from what's going on right now to encode information into this word mm-hmm. that you bounce through the air to somebody else. Right. And then their brain unpackages the code. Exactly. Yep. And, and a lot of our problems come because one person's brain uses a different set of anchors to mm-hmm. identify that word. And so we're not, it's not getting unpackaged using the same translation. Yes, of course. Yes, absolutely. Very well put. Yeah. I went down the train of thought that the words might be important somehow. Uh-huh. And that this like uh, unreliability between us, between each other kind of uh-huh. gives rise. It, you know, it adds this layer of confusion that now our brain needs a mechanism that, hey, I need to understand how people work. My words are, aren't doing what they're supposed to. Mm. So I need to construct the tools to understand language. Mm. And really, the, the tools that you use uh, to understand something like that, understanding uh-huh. probably plays a part in consciousness. Mm-hmm. Now, the nerves in your ankle which I'm sure you're 
keenly aware of their existence. Oh, yes. They're sending signals that your brain decodes as pain and discomfort and, hey, there's something wrong. Right. But those same kind of nerves are on your foot. And when they all get triggered at the same level, at the same pressure, you just feel that as normal standing because that's how your brain is encoding this idea. Yeah. And that understands that. Uh And once it understands, it just has an intrinsic awareness of it. Right. Muscle memory or... Right. And so I'm trying to think of a way, how can we imagine this? If that is the case, can we can we think of it that way? And uh, I, I think in your case, maybe it would be easy for you to imagine what, what does my ankle feel like? Mm. Just think about what you feel mm-hmm. and then strip away what you're thinking to yourself in your head, what you see, what you smell. What does an eyeball feel like? Right. Well, you close an eye and you look at it at the other one and... <laughs> You try and clear your mind and not think about that. Uh-huh. That'd be what it looks like. What do two of them look like? Okay, open both of them, and now you you are the awareness of both your eyes mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, so those are all parts of different signals that have been interpreted by some automatic function that we're not even aware of consciously. Sure. And that information is just bundled and sent to us as the awareness of that. Mm-hmm. And we put all of our senses together and. You know, now we're aware of the realm of our experience yep. and we have memory. So now we can be aware of the results of past actions. Mm-hmm. And that just, it's this progression of uh, things coming together to build one streamlined average of it. And then right. the averages all pass up in a way. It's almost like a democratic process. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, all the rods and cones in your eye take a vote, and then at the back of your eyeball where the nerve shoots it to your brain, it goes, yeah. oh, okay, well, this is the consensus. I'll send that. Uh-huh. Yep. And there's optical illusions that take advantage of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your brain is selecting, like you said, what to pay attention to and stuff. Like, we're seeing a lot more than we're seeing, I guess, as it were, you know? Like, right, right. deciding to focus in on certain things, and I'm just kind of almost expanding on your point and kind of saying it back to you. But then, like, when I'm seeing the construct of color, you know, comes into play and, and how my culture understands color and how I distinguish between different types of colors. And, you know, different languages will distinguish and delineate different colors differently. Even, you know, sometimes there's an infinite number of factors going into what's behind the average, as you said, the average, the experience that I walk away with. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but to me, like, that's kind of, yeah, that's where I was at. And I feel like that seems right. Mm. I feel comfortable with this line of thought enough to keep exploring it. Uh-huh. So the next question that I, I really uh, fixated on is words, right? What are, how, how does this language play in? Because there's a sense that the stopping point, like the highest up that ladder of things coming together at least for me, who uh-huh. spends time just sitting around thinking about what it feels like to think. Right. Meta thinking. Thinking about thinking. Yeah. Go ahead and ask someone at random if they ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you even find somebody that really understands what you're asking enough to say no, then that would be a shock. Mm-hmm. It would be my like overall observation. Right. I feel like at the top of this ladder is the part of me that puts words together to have a conversation with myself in my head. Okay. That feels like the top rung of the illusion of free will or the pyramid of perceptions that cumulatively get so complicated. We trick ourselves into thinking we're this, you know, Uh words have to play a role somehow because they're, they're part of our inputs and outputs, right? 
maybe it's because I've taken a lot of computer classes, uh-huh. but I find it's it's really easy to think of things if you don't know how the core thing works. As long as you know what goes into it and what comes out, uh-huh. you can still work with it. Right. You don't need to know how a computer calculates the square root. You just tell it to calculate the square root right. and give you the answer. Exactly. And really, you can think of everything like that. Of course, yeah. The best example that I can think of, and one that I think of a lot because there's something about it that really seems like you should be able to get more out of it, but that I can't, you know, it's hard to put together. I don't know. Okay. That's temperature. Mm. Temperature is not a thing that an individual atom can have. Uh-huh. It's an average. It's if you take this whole volume, uh-huh. yeah. if you could spend the rest of the universe calculating what the atoms are doing, there's too many of them and it's too chaotic. It's too random. Right. But if we know the whole region uh-huh. and we know that no temperature change is coming in or out of it, uh-huh. well, then it only takes three variables to represent the whole thing. Uh-huh. You can solve very complicated equations that use temperature as a measurement within them, even though the whole thing is just an illusion. A construct, yeah. But overall, is all that matters. Mm-hmm. Previously, that had made me think of the whole simulation theory, that it only calculates what it needs to in the background. Mm. But from the point of view of trying to figure out how I see the world and how I think I see the world and how yeah. I think I think I see the world, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like it's much more likely that it just all is like chaotic and we're just picking out the information from it. Right. And doing that selectively because of how we've been formed experientially and because of the genetic predispositions and things like that and cultural right, right. aspects and every you know everything else. So applying computers you just if you don't know how it works you just apply a black box you know what goes in you know what comes out right i can think internally and feel myself as this ascending ever specializing collection of awarenesses uh-huh. the next couple tiers down even if i can't figure out how to think about that well i can make each of them their own black box and just kind of think logically of how they interrelate to each other mm. and see if i can pull some kind of structure out of that uh-huh. you know i'm also a fan of, of physics and i watch the relativity videos and try and learn what i can about the schrodinger wave equation oh boy yeah. And so there's a speed of light, there's the fastest, there's a speed limit in the universe. Right. Which means that if you take a set period of time, uh-huh. then that sets up a radius around you that like within that period of time, mm-hmm. that's all the information that can affect you. It's the event horizon essentially. Yes. That's like the threshold where at some step along the way, all that information, you take that as an input and use it as a function to output the next moment in time. Yep. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and the, the inverse of that is, you know, you can only work with what is within your event horizon. Yeah. So in this train of thought, in my spiral into madness, I'm wondering, well, then I don't really need to know how the Schrodinger wave equation works. All I need to know is that if you look as small as you can... That thing is looking at all the other smallest you can think of spaces around it and deciding what to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if all the forces line up right, then it decides to be a quirk. And then that decides to bundle with some three things. And and again, it's kind of like it's just this democratic process all the way up the chain to our consciousness. Yeah. And it really is survival of the fittest in the original intention of the term fittest, as in that which fits best, not the most athletic, you know, or most physically peak. Yeah. Whatever fits, fits. <laughs> if something has a large mass, it's going to have more gravity. Yeah. It's just how it is. Yeah. And if you make that radius of how much time affects you larger and larger, then it just includes more things 
that eventually are causing those little chain reactions that trickle down and all that. Yeah. The web gets more and more tangled. Well, actually, if you look at it mathematically, it gets more untangled because at the very bottom layer, you just have random chaos and you don't know what's Mm -hmm. going on. But if those accumulate into a pattern, you can recognize. Mm -hmm. And then those patterns accumulate into a pattern you can recognize. Mm. Those patterns accumulate. You see where I'm going? Yeah. That just goes from the building blocks of reality all the way up to our consciousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If, say, uh, you hear the argument a lot when people talk about life on other planets. Uh I've used this argument. Mm -hmm. Our sample size is one. Yeah. So that means we're either unique or it's everywhere. Right. Right. Because it's just so much room out. Yeah. Well, but if this series of thinking about things as black boxes goes from quarks up to my awareness, yeah. well, isn't that the height of hubris to say that that's where it stops? Yes. My words in my head are the absolute end because we see one mm-hmm. and we say that's unique. But I can look at my dog and tell that by her behaviors, she's aware right. at some level. Yes. I was wondering what were your, uh, which way you were going to push it with this one. Yeah, looking at it as a ladder... Maybe looking at it as a branch might be a, a better or a more fitting metaphor because it's a complex branch, but it isn't necessarily higher or lower. It's just complex and unique. Right. But how would words play into that? How is it that words are what seemingly give me the illusion mm-hmm. that I'm able to like articulate thoughts and, and solve problems without having to act them out? Mm-hmm. What's that doing? Yeah. That's a big question. Whenever I'm stumped, I look for a couple sources of influence. And there are a couple that really stuck with me in the realm of science. Richard Feynman is a really uh, important person in quantum physics. But one of his notable qualities, one of the things that stands out to people about him is he was one of those guys that could really take just unfathomable math ideas Uh. and phrase them in an analogy that all of a sudden it made sense that you could get it. Mm-hmm. He could wrap the most complicated math properties in just simple everyday terms. Uh-huh. And like, really, if you read the Bible, like that's how Jesus got through people. That was his whole thing is that he spoke in analogies. Yep. Yeah, totally. I was thinking analogies are really powerful because they let you encode a word that you don't know how it'll get encoded. Mm-hmm. But then you encode those into more common group words that we all can agree on what they mean. Yeah. Uh-huh. Chair is not going to have a political bias. Mm-hmm. So you encode your code into a story. Mm-hmm. And then you send that story to someone. And they might tell that story with a different set of words. Yeah. But that's because ultimately in their brain, the parts that that story triggers are the parts that you intended yes. and not the parts that misinterpreted your actual words. Right. Yeah. So there's got to be something about that. Feynman also did a thing that he said, one of the best ways to learn something, they call it the Feynman technique, uh-huh. is that if you have something you think you understand, but you're not sure, uh-huh. best way to test it is explain it to someone. Yep. Because in your mind, it's stored differently. Uh If you have to know it well enough to encode it into language and send it out, then if you can't do that, then that means you didn't understand that in the first place and that that's the point where your ability to explain something breaks down. That's where you know you need to work on it harder. Mm -hmm. The process of explaining your idea to somebody actually helps you further analyze your own idea. Totally, yep. And it probably has something to do with this translating, right? Mm -hmm. You represent all of the thoughts that intersect in a way to make up your story that you're trying to tell. Mm -hmm. That's just a grid of values. That's just this web of connections. Mm -hmm. And if you 
understand it well enough to morph that web of connections into a different shape and still have it be the same thing, then you really must understand it. Yeah. Yep. Really must be aware of it. Right. You you see it. And so you're describing it. You're not reciting a definition. Yeah. So there's almost this aspect of how you can think without words. Yes. People tell me that they can just kind of imagine things in the visual of what they would like to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's good enough for them. I've come to find out that when people talk about visualization, they talk about it a very different way than I do. Because I guess I can't visualize. I think y'all are crazy. Mm. I always just assumed it meant like, okay, list the properties of this object in your head. And then people are like, no, no, no. What color is it? I'm like, I can't do that. I don't know what my daughter looks like if I'm not looking at her. (laughs) You guys are out of your mind. But apparently, just everyone can do it. Interesting. But I've been told that most people can imagine what they want to do by kind of forming the vision of it. Right. But you can't do that for something you don't understand. Yes. You know? And that's why analogies are so important is because you're comparing it to something that you do understand. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that if you can figure out the translation to something you do understand, Uh then you can figure out the translation from that to something mm-hmm. else fits, then you don't need to know the math at that level. You right. just know that there is some translation. Uh-huh. And so I've kind of been trying to utilize that. I don't know if successfully or not. So that's kind of where that's led. I actually thought of a fun game and I, I tested it with my with my wife. I'm not brave enough to try and test it in real time against you. Uh, oh, why? Well, live on the air. You want me to? Yeah, I'm curious. I love games, and uh, yeah. All right, I'll try it out. And it's part of how I'm curious about words are also very mysterious in computer theory. Like, how do you even try and store a word in a computer? You can't even think of a way to articulate how you want to do it. You know, it's a, even that's a challenge because mm-hmm. there's something so weird about them, you know? Yeah. When I think about myself and you think about um, cognitive dissonance, when something happens, you hear something or you encounter information and it makes you feel a certain way that you don't understand why you feel a certain way. Right. I feel like a lot of issues in psychiatry might even be related to the fact that, you know, if you accidentally step on something that's on fire, you're going to be jumping off of it before you even have a chance to think about it right your body goes through a checklist as it's filtering everything Mm -hmm. and at some level before you it goes hey is any of this a threat right no okay carry on Mm -hmm. but if you're on fire and your nerves are shooting pain up to that collected spot Uh that point where the branches come together on this uh graph tree that we're imagining Uh if the answer is yes they just take action on their own before they even reassess and present it to you right. for further review before you pass it up the ladder. Sure. And I feel like that's an extreme example, but you know, I feel like a lot of mental stress and confusion, mm. a lot of the issues that manifest are us finding the wrong explanation for just feeling bad that that decision was made before it got to us. Mm. It kind of little piercing just enough to say hey you're not in total control this shit can do stuff on its own oh sure you're just riding along yeah i mean the fact that you you're breathing without thinking about it you know i mean oh yeah the fact that you can sleep and breathe and swallow and fart without any decision making oh yeah or the illusion of a decision think in detail of the process that has to happen when you i used this example last time as well of how complicated it would be to program a hand to pick something up the way we do yes when we think of that, we think of like a robotic claw. But uh, when you think of it organically, it's even crazier than that because you just think, I want to grab this. And then you send that output back down to your body. And there's a part beneath that that maybe is good at combining all these signals into one thing that takes that and distributes it in such a way 
that you're you're really just sending the signal go and it gets split up into millions of pieces to a shape that when staggered in timing just the right mm-hmm. way causes just a select number of muscle cells to start turning on and burning energy so they contract mm-hmm. and the overall effect of all of that that we see is our arm picking up the thing. But that's as far as we're aware of it because that kind of stuff is just too... We can get the general sense that millions of these cause the impression of touching things and feeling Mm. things, right? And we can feel those nerves as our arm moves so we're we're aware that it's working. But we we wouldn't know how to do that signal processing if we wanted to. There's no way. It's like uh, a baby being born in a room that has like all these computers and all this technology and, and like through trial and error learning how to use it but having no idea you know how to right right we're living in a cave and drawing all of your ideas as shadows on the wall yeah okay play-doh yeah that was intentional uh-huh no, that was good it almost feels right the symmetry of it where you know it's a series of combining inputs that get to a central spot that has to make the decision of what to do. And then it sends down an output and then that output is distributed down in a series of descending splits. Yeah. Right. And you know, to combine two of your examples, you could even grab something without having the experience of deciding to grab something, you know, like with the fire example, like uh, if, if an infant falls, like I've worked in childcare and if, if a baby falls, then like without even thinking about it, my body will I've performed some, you know, wild stuff that I couldn't intentionally recreate. Right. Like diving and perfectly cradling the neck of a you know what I mean? Like Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just written into your muscles. Exactly. Just like if you felt fire, you pull away from it yep. without making a decision. That part's all just hardware. That's how the hardware right. reacts. Right? Uh-huh. And there's this real tangible feeling that the words you're thinking in your head. Though, man, that's that can't, there's something, it just feels so wrong. That's why people don't want to accept that there's, you know, not free will. That's why people don't want to accept that there's not religion because there is this feeling, but like, no, this is not the same as all this stuff that I interact with. This is something different. And I, that's one of the big mysteries, right? That's why I went down the rabbit hole. Uh-huh. But I really feel if it's that, if that's, if that's how it is, if it's this hierarchy of awarenesses and decisions, and that each awareness is one of the nexuses where inputs come together and a consensus is made, but it's sent like you know as instructions yes. uh-huh. instead of outputs. Those are just outputs to the next function in the ladder, though. Yeah. Uh huh. Another analogy, like if the owner of a restaurant says, "We need to sell more of this product. We need to push this." That can be the full extent of their comprehension of how that's actually going to be applied. You know, because then that message is passed down to a manager who then has to decide how they're going, you know, or maybe to their marketing team or whatever. Right. But like at the tip top, it's a simple command. It's a simple make this happen. But then as you go down the ladder of actually, you know, where the rubber meets the road, much more complex decisions are being made. Yeah. I was in the military, so I had I kind of had a real tangible sense. And maybe because I'm such an introvert Mm -hmm. and I don't see people and think, let's bond with them, I think. 
how's all this working? Mm-hmm. But I could like really perceive that all the little tiny nitpicky kind of stupid rules that everyone complained about and like, Oh God, why do we got to do this? Mm-hmm. I always wanted to yell at everyone that it's like, Hey, that's because when we're in combat, we all have to just be automatically ready to all react to the mm-hmm. next step in the chain of commands order right. because they're receiving the instruction from the chain of command above them and them and them. Mm-hmm. And at the very top, there's a guy that can't, can see everything. We can't see everything. They can see everything. And they have a vision and they have an orchestration uh-huh. and we're in a unit that part of its strength is relying uh-huh. on that not being random. The reason that it's hard to talk to people that aren't in the military about stuff that's going on is because every three words you have to stop and explain an acronym. Right. Yeah. We don't need to unpackage the acronym because we're used to it. Sure. And so jargon. that's why it doesn't matter what somebody's political beliefs are. I get along with basically every person I've met as soon as I hear that they were a soldier, because now there's a part of my brain that clicks and goes, oop, I can use all these words without worrying about being misunderstood. You have a shared vocabulary. Yeah. Shared vocabulary. Because there's that power in words, right? Yeah. And when you take a class in college, it's uh, oh, man, so many, so many fields. There's tons of fields. Yeah. We're just to study them to have four classes of just learning all these definitions. Sure. You read something from a, from a year four book, you don't even understand what they're asking Uh because it's all encoded and layers on layers and layers of, of jargon. Right. And each of those words is kind of like a, like an ensemble of all the different meanings that make it up. Totally. Yeah. And so as a way to try and solve thinking about words and displaying them in, uh, in computers, Uh I thought of, uh, I wonder if you can play a game. I was thinking of, that Akinator, have you ever seen that? It's the website that plays 20 questions automatically. I'm not familiar with the word Akinator, no. Uh, it's a website that plays 20 questions with you. Okay. <laughs> it's basically all. And it's often right. Uh-huh. So I thought of a way we can try and play a modified version of 20 questions. Okay. Wherein you just think of a single word. Okay. Not a phrase, not like a movie star, not an idea. Just a word. Okay. And please, for the sake of us doing this on your show, be kind and not have it be something super crazy. Okay. Because this is uh, it's actually pretty hard. The rules are, we're going to play 20 questions. I'm going to try and guess your word. Uh-huh. I can only use one word questions, though. Okay. Mm. And don't tell me if that's what you put into it. Just yes or no is whether that could be associated with it somehow. Like, There's a lot of subjectivity in this. Yeah. But, for example, if I said color and you were thinking of the word literature, mm-hmm. that probably doesn't add up. It'd probably be a right? no, yeah. But if you were thinking apple, you'd probably say yes to that, because what color it is affects what that word, you know. Okay, okay. Let's see if it works. 20 okay. questions. I'll try and keep count, but I don't know if I'll be perfect. I can tally. I've got paper right here. Oh, perfect. Okay. Threat. No. Object. Yes. Sphere. No. Flat? Yes. Black? Yes. Shadow? No. Air? No. Ground? No. Close? Yes. Big? No. I think I'm going to be better at this if we do it again. Oh yeah, is yours pretty obscure? I'm starting to see. No, no, no. It's not. It's not obscure at all. But I'm. I'm I think, oh, okay. I think the way that I answer, I think I'm learning a little. Anyway, uh, how many am I at? Uh, you're at ten. Ten. Ooh, man. All right, we're only halfway there. Yep. But the problem is, is that I have to like really, man. Now I have to really catalog. Think about, yeah. Okay. So 
Black was yes. Uh, Black was see that's uh, that's one I'm questioning. Oh, okay, okay, that one's questionable. That's, that's one that I'm uh, questioning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then how about colors? Plural. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, flat. I'm not going to count colors. Uh, moving. No. Living. No. Symmetrical. Yes. Top heavy. No. All right. Tool. Yes. Vehicle? No. Mm. Uh, communication? No. Mm. You've got three more questions. Yeah, I'm not sure. Now I'm questioning a couple other of my answers, too. Oh, uh, okay. Well, let's just say I make the other three, and I don't figure it out, uh-huh. right? Now it reaches the conscious part of my brain that plays with words, uh-huh. and it goes, whoa, I don't know this word. Uh-huh. And so then you unpack all the rest of the words and see if you can figure it out by context of what kind of theme you can emerge from the overall story, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can kind of clarify like you did with the colors thing, with the black. Yeah. So for my own benefit, what uh, what was your word? My word was scarf. Ah, yeah. Okay. And, and see, that has a lot of connotations that you have to pack into it. Mm-hmm. You have to know that it doesn't have to have the same color. You have to know what kind of purpose it serves. Yeah, and when you said tool, I said yes. But mm-hmm. if somebody else had had said tool to me, I might have not said yes. But because it was you, I thought that how you define the word tool would be. You know what I mean? Like I was thinking of, of the context of your vocabulary and how you would approach yeah. the word tool. Would you say scarf is a tool while we're picking it I would, it apart? yeah. Well, yeah, okay. It's a tool to keep your body warm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I was thinking, though, that you could probably make a program that could organize words according to a hierarchy like that. Yeah. And that, you know, that part of our language center might process words kind of similar to that, where all these combinations mm-hmm. come in and just feed a couple more concepts. Mm-hmm. So I'm sad that it didn't work for our, our public experiment. But uh, yeah, thinking about, thinking about words that way... Um, I learned a lot more about the anatomy of the brain, trying to learn about AI and computer science mm-hmm. nerd stuff than I ever thought I would. Uh, but you can use math to represent all the neurons in the brain and all their connections as a big as a big grid where every row and column represents one neuron and all the ones represent if they're connected or not. Okay. You can map the whole architecture. And what they find is that it's basically, you know, the, a set of a combination of synapses fires to a neuron. Mm. And based on the combination, it either decides to fire or not. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which itself is very strikingly like a bit of information. Right. Mm-hmm. But what they find is that, uh, and if I get my facts wrong, I'm sorry. But the way I remember it was that a neuron can have up to about 30,000 connections. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, a, a single synapse does not carry enough charge to force a neuron to fire and move on to the next level. Okay. This is the democracy. Yeah. It has to reach a consensus. It has to get enough outside, you know, it has to put enough pieces together to be confident that, Hey, this is my answer. And, and you could probably do that programmatically with words where each word is, you kind of build almost a self referential list. And that's really what, that's kind of what a dictionary is, right? Yes. A dictionary 
words defining words. Yes. The whole point is ludicrous, right? They of think course. we wouldn't have translated ancient languages if it wasn't for that Rosetta Stone, because without that, like you, you don't have a starting point. You exactly. don't have a starting frame of reference to work from. I wonder if that's maybe why it's such a commonly held belief that language is a divine like gift to humans, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of that. Have you heard the word? The the good word of God? Oh, oh God. Let me finish this thought before we start joking about that, because <laughs> that's going to okay. long forever. Yeah, no, no. I got, I got a whole other thing about the Bible that you'll love. Oh, great. But I wanted to save that until I know you, your thing is more uh, religious-oriented on this show. But So I wanted to get all the science stuff out of the way first, so it's out of the way when we actually get talk to the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about about the Bible. But okay, I, sure. this one, you know, I feel like that flowed better. Yeah, totally. I just had this thought when you're saying a self-referential vocabulary and stuff and a dictionary be, you know, being absurd because you're using words to define words. Learning any language, obviously learning your first language, but learning any language is context clues. Yeah. There's no real origin point because you can learn a language, but then like when 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 you really pick it apart to say where did the first consensus on a word or, you know, a sound having a certain definable meaning that could be put in a dictionary, when you really try to, to chase down that origin, it, it is it is completely absurd and uh, it's very evasive. You can't you can't wrap your head around that. Um, and and it's kind of like how it's really phenomenal how just through context clues, infants learn their first language. You know what I mean? Like they have no reference point except for what oh, they absolutely. see and, and then repetition. The, think of what the first words that they usually use are, where mm-hmm. uh, you usually learn mama and papa. Yeah, yeah. Mama and papa give food. Ball. Mama and papa give drink. Uh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You learn more. more. You learn like, oh all my done. God, I have this insatiable need that I can't get rid of mm-hmm. wait if i say this word they'll give it to me okay oh yeah gone that that ties into a book that i just read actually called oh, missing really? out by adam phillips um just yeah about about uh it, it's is it by any chance about how our memories don't form until we've overheard enough language to internalize it into a speaking voice no that's interesting though oh okay is that true no, that but that's where my logical conclusion to that train of thought led me. So I would have thought it was like crazy coincidental if that's what you no. were about to tell me. Oh no, it's just it, it, it's it's more of like a real kind of broad, just philosophical, fun little book, just kind of almost uh, fun about how uh, <laughs> yeah. just about 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 the human drive being to fill a lack, you know, or to satisfy, scratch an itch, or or eat food, but but. Nothing is ever fully satisfactory like our our fantasized version of it. You'll always have a next need up the ladder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, well, there's that, yeah, that. And then also, you can imagine like, oh, man, all I want right now is like this perfect cheeseburger. It's just going to hit the spot. But then nothing really ever quite scratches the itch exactly how you want it scratched. But then he theorizes that the itch can be scratched, you know, in, in a very... um big picture kind of way but but most of the time it's just when we, we stumble across something or experiencing something for the very first time because we didn't know that we wanted it and then we ex- like you know experiencing a drug or something and then you experience it and um but then you can it's like how they say you'll never get back to that that first high or whatever is because oh yeah i figured you out why that is you couldn't idealize 
something until you tasted it or you had seen it, you know, you had somehow encountered it. Then that allows the you to the human. It allows one to say, okay, well, this is what I want that'll satisfy me. This is what I want that'll satisfy me. And then that determines, you know, what you pursue after. But then in, in the end, really, the things that satisfy us, we just kind of stumble across. Um, anyway. Right, kind of like how if you learn the word yummy mm-hmm. now, or or even say uh, just even more, just a general term like better, okay. uh, uh-huh. that you know, ooh, this food tastes better. Yeah. Before you didn't even have a way to think about a scale of foods, uh-huh. you just were hungry or not. Yeah. But now we've learned a different word. We've learned a different idea uh-huh. that we need to because now we don't understand that. Now we have to kick on and think about it know what to do and how to do it we just do it right yeah and that goes back to kind of your first point with like muscle memory and stuff um but yeah i was just thinking like when i was in the hospital with my broken ankle um my pain scale changed like i i i what i thought was 10 oh, yeah. you know what i mean like like they yep. when they were like resetting it they're like what's your pain at right now and i was like it, I, I was fucking screaming bloody murder um <laughs> when they would ask me where, where your pain is that i would say a 10 and then they would like fucking reset it and they say what's your pain's at now and i'd be like oh a new 10 you know i'd be like a 13 exactly yeah like i i my scale changed and is there a 10 no you know like that that's that's the subjective thing anyways no. but um but yeah like my my threshold changed my reference point changed like i have ex- the the pain that i experience is you know that's easily the most painful thing that I've ever neuro- neurologically experienced, and um, and I can it, it reset the th- the the threshold. It, it made me redefine, or you know, uh, yeah, yeah, redefine where my anchor points were. Like you said earlier, my reference points. Isn't that crazy? How life lessons come to you during this time of the coronavirus. <laughs> That's, Isaac Newton only invented calculus because he was working on his physics hobby with all of his free time from when his college was shut down. Mm. Einstein only came up with relativity when he decided that he hated the academic ensemble and didn't want to be a part of it and just did a job filing out patent forms all day and had time to daydream all day. Yeah. You know, it's only when these people were given time to mm-hmm. just wander that they were able to, because if they're not doing that and they're locked into the, all the routines and all the layer on layer and layer of that we've built around ourselves, you know, you, you did all the routines, mm. uh, they, they just become so automatic that you can't yeah. break away from them. You know, like, mm-hmm. do you think, do you think I'll be good to cancel my, f- do you think I'll be good to book my flight for next month? Like, <laughs> man, if, if you're asking that, then that just shows that you're not on the same level as me for you, me to even answer. Right. 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 Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at SacredMN. That was a post-Christian podcast.